Hey everybody, welcome back to Nothing Is Lost, where we talk all things Christian lifestyle, theology, and Bible study. I am so excited, you guys. We are now on day three of our July read with me, and I don't know about you, but Paul came out of the gate with some heavy-hitting theology in just the first few verses of chapter one. So, of course, our reading assignment for today was Ephesians 1, 9 through 14. Um, just to kind of catch you up to speed, if you weren't here on yesterday, remember you can go back and watch yesterday's recording on our YouTube channel, Facebook, and Instagram TV, or you can listen to the Nothing Is Lost podcast, which is listed below. Okay, so yesterday we found out that God's gifts to us are a part of a universal act on behalf of the entire church. While we take many of these things and apply them to our lives individually and personally, they're really a gift to the body of Christ at large. Secondly, we dove into depth on the idea of adoption. This idea that God looked at everyone who was available, looked at all of the peoples of the earth, and for some reason chose us instead, in spite of knowing that we wouldn't always choose him. He felt that he loved us enough to choose us despite any mistakes that we would make. And third, we learned that the end goal of all of this has always been to bring glory to his name. His entire choosing of us, Christ dying on the cross, the sacrifice at Eden, everything was about him getting glory from choosing us to be his. So today, again, as I said, we step into verses 9 through 14, which is extremely power packed. One thing that's important to note is that verses 3 through 14 in the original text were all one big sentence. Can you imagine how complicated that had to be to read? One interesting fact is that the Bible was not written with the original chapter and verse breakdowns. Those were added when the Bible was translated into English to make it easier to understand for English speakers. So a lot of times when we think that things are difficult to understand or they don't quite make sense, it's because we tried to make it more readable. But in the original text, these would have all been one big, huge sentence, which is why sometimes the thoughts seems to just run on and on and on and hit us with those heavy hits, those heavy punches of theological truth in such a short time span. So today we're going to focus in on the key verses for today were 13 and 14, but I don't want to just dwell on that. Everything was super power packed and definitely worth looking worth looking into. FYI, if you see me looking down, I'm looking down either at my notes or at my Bible. Hint, it would be very good if you would go visit the blog. You guys are actually able to download a copy of my notes for today and understand the rationale behind why my notes look like this, which most of my notes look something like this, either typed or handwritten, but you are able to um, download a copy of my notes. The links will be included below if you're watching the replay um, or even if you're watching the premiere at seven, everything will be available right there. And if you're listening to the podcast, it'll be available in the show notes. All right, so let's just get started. Verse nine. In verse nine, we learned that once again, this plan has always been about God receiving all the glory, all the honor for the work of the cross. Eden had to happen. For God to get the glory. Um, one thing that we look at is in the beginning, um, in Eden, once sin has occurred and sin comes into the world, when God is banishing them from the garden, he tells them that there's one who will come 
that would bruise the Satan's head, that would bruise Satan's head. Um, I believe that's in Genesis 3, 16. Don't quote me on that. I'll double check and put it in the comments or put it on screen if it's something different. But I want to say it's Genesis 3, 16, where he lets him know, like, no, there's one who's coming that will redeem what has happened here. And scripture teaches us that Jesus has been the sacrifice since the foundation of the world. Meaning when God stepped out into nothingness and called life into something, Jesus was already the plan. The plan was already that when this goes wrong, I have Jesus on the back burner. He's coming. He's going to redeem this creation and it's going to bring me glory. Um, we find that Jesus was that sacrifice in Revelations, 3, 8, Revelations 13 and 18. Um, in verse 10, what stood out to me is that the work of Christ on a cross has always been the point. It's always been the central story. It's the central story of the Bible. It's so crazy. Like God is so providential. Um, I just finished up a seven day Bible reading plan on Psalm 40 and each day you read Psalm 40 along with other portions of scripture. Lo and behold, this morning, my portion of scripture was Ephesians 1, 1 through 15, I believe. I was so, I was never so overjoyed, outdone, excited just to see how this plan has weaved itself together throughout history to see how God's plan has always been to bring us to himself, that no matter where we find ourselves, we know that his ultimate goal is to receive glory from our lives, glory from our situation, and to be unified and united with him in Christ. That is the most amazing truth of the Bible, and it's the story literally from Genesis to Revelation. So in verse 10, we remind, we're reminded that the work of Christ on the cross is the central axis of history, that at that point in history, everything changes with his finished work. So in verse 11, this is where things really get good. So verse 11, it reads, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So verse 11 specifically replies to Jewish people. Um, as we know that in the Bible, it tells us that these are his chosen people, his chosen generation. So they were the first ones to be called into the knowledge of Christ. They were the first ones um, to receive the salvation of the Messiah if they chose to believe. And in verse 11, um, you'll see, if you look at the copy of the notes that I provided, I have a breakdown um, of things that we obtained in him. One of my favorite things in the book of Ephesians is the in him statements, because in those verses, we learn what exactly does Christ's finished work on the cross mean to us. And let me go back for a second. You've probably heard me say that probably 30 times since yesterday. Christ's finished work on the cross. His finished work on the cross represents the fact that when he died, he gave us everything that we needed. It's not Jesus and. There's not a plus sign. There's not anything else that we have to do. When Jesus died on the cross, he died to bring us into right relationship with Christ, with God. The only thing that we have to do is we accept Christ and he takes it from there. Um, so that's what's meant when I say the finished work on the cross. Because if it wasn't a finished work, it would mean that we now have to work for our salvation or we have to try to do good things or we have to, it would be faith plus works. But there's no faith plus works. The only thing that we need, um, and we actually find out about that a couple verses later, is we hear the truth, we believe the truth, and it's done. So, um, we find out that in him, the first thing we have is an inheritance. 
And an inheritance in this verse specifically means um, to obtain by lot. It's indicative of a divine will, and it means to choose. In other words, God chose to give us this. It wasn't a have to. It wasn't a need to. It was a he chose to. And that is so important to me. And that was one of the things that stood out from verse 11. And if you look at my notes, you'll see that I do have other commentary notes that I read that were very impactful. For example, um, that one of the things that that word can also mean is to appoint or cast lots, which is something we read a lot about in the Old Testament, which is used to point to this idea of divine will. Uh, so that kind of stood out for me. And then three words that were used in that text, the word chosen, the word plan, and the word will. Each three, the combination of those in Greek gives a forceful emphasis of God's sovereignty for including the Jewish believers in the church, which is headed up by Christ. Um, and for me, that stood out just kind of knowing the implications of Jewish history and that most Jews did not um, accept Jesus when he came the first time and kind of understanding how that they are ultimately going to be included in the church through the work of Christ and through the will of God. Um, that's something that I wrestled with when I was younger because I had a lot of Jewish friends and I did not understand um, that though they were God's chosen people, they didn't accept Christ. And I, I really wrestled through this idea of my friends may not go to heaven or my friends may not be saved. Um, so it brings great comfort to me, brought great comfort to me then and now to understand, um, that God has made provision for them as well and that they're not forgotten because they were the first, they were the first predestined and there's still, uh, room for them in the plan and at the cross. Okay. Fast forwarding, we're in verse 13. Um, verse 12 is kind of a conjunction into verse 11. You'll kind of see, uh, just some commentary on that that continues to build out on those ideas of obtaining that inheritance and what it means. And again, that ultimately God's choosing the Jewish people was for his glory. That's a consistent refrain that we see in Ephesians when Paul gives us an idea or when he mentions the Father or he mentions the Holy Spirit. He includes that it's for his glory. So in verse 13, we see the work on behalf of the Gentiles. Verse 13 says, in him you also, you also refers to us as Gentiles. Um, the first verb, the first phraseology refers to the Jewish because it says we first. Then the second phraseology is you also. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. I'm going to go ahead and read verse 14 and we'll discuss it in a second. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance? until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So like I told you guys, um, the work of Christ on the cross was complete. It was total. There's no Christ and there's no faith plus. There's literally faith in Christ. That's all we need. That's all that God called us to. Um, as a matter of fact, he gives us two specific things that we do. Number one, we hear the word of truth. Number two, we respond to the word of truth by believing in him and confessing him as our savior. Once you do that, you are now sealed with the Holy Spirit. The word sealed means to be sealed securely or to become designated and made secure 
as a sign of authentication or ownership to mark, deliver safely, or make known. The most impactful part of that definition to me is to make known. In other words, he makes us known to himself. He makes us known to his kingdom. He comes into relationship with us and allows us to A, be known and to B, know him. How beautiful is that? If you've ever watched it, I don't know if anybody out there is a fan of old movies. I like a lot of old historical movies. It's the nerd in me. I was a history major at one point. So, hey, it makes sense. Um, one thing that I loved about old movies is when they would send an important letter, the letter would be, you would take a wax stick and you would drip the wax stick on the seal of the letter. And then it would be stamped um, with this iron or wooden or steel, some type of something piece, or there would be a ring that would be dipped into ink or to wax and then placed on the letter to seal it, thereby giving it that person's specific authority. In other words, it was to say that this letter was authentic this letter was valuable. It could be enforced. Um, this is what God does to us with the Holy Spirit. When we receive Christ, when we accept this, when we hear salvation and we accept the gospel, we accept that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He came back to redeem us. He rose on our behalf. Then we are now accepted and sealed with the Holy Spirit. And he's saying that I'm making a down payment on this person. This person belongs to me until the day that I come back. This person belongs to me until the end of the earth. Um, the seal represents security, authentication and approval, certification of genuineness, identification of ownership. In other words, he gives us his name. He makes the great exchange with us. He exchanges our unrighteousness for his righteousness. This is how we become the holy and blameless people um, that we discussed on yesterday. So that was one of my favorite things about Verses 13, again, just accepting and realizing and understanding that because of Christ on the cross, I take on a new identity. We take on a new name for who God has called us to be. And in verse 14, we learn some things about the Holy Spirit. First and foremost, we learn that he seals. In other words, he keeps. He's the down payment on our promise. He's a guarantee. The second thing we learn is he is promised. This is the same spirit that Jesus promised to his disciples and that has been promised to us throughout time. When Jesus left, he said, I will send a comforter to you who will lead you and guide you into all truth, into all understanding. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit. Thirdly, he is a guarantee. The word guarantee arrested me. That is actually a financial term. It In Greek, I'm going to try to pronounce this. It is arabone which means a deposit. It's a partial payment made at the time of purchase with the balance to be paid later. It's the first installment, or if you've ever purchased anything um, home-wise or business, you know what earnest money is. The Holy Spirit is our earnest money. In other words, because he's coming back for us and he's going to redeem us, he's going to eventually take us to be with him. He makes the first installment. He makes a deposit by depositing the Holy Spirit into our hearts, into our lives. Um, Dr. Tony Evans, who is absolutely positively one of my favorite theologians, says this. Like an engagement ring, the Holy Spirit is a down payment on eternal commitment. The Spirit is a heavenly first installment given in anticipation of eternal life, a life that is eternally secure. He's a foretaste of what's ahead. 
I love that example, that imagery of an engagement ring. Because when we receive an engagement ring, we then accept that that wedding proposal is something that's sure, is something that's permanent. Um, and likewise, when we receive the Holy Spirit, we know that our relationship with Christ is sealed and completed. The last thing that I kind of noted um, in my notes that the redemption that that this I did want to note this the word Arabon is only used in two other places in the New Testament, both of which are in Second Corinthians and they're Pauline letters. So we're not surprised that Paul would use the same uh, phraseology, the same verbs um, to describe the same thing. Um, but that same idea of deposit and guaranteeing is reflected in 2 Corinthians 1, 22 and 5, verse 5. Um, and the last thing I wanted to share with you guys is it refers back. Um, we talk about this whole idea of redemption. This is not the redemption that releases us from the guilt of sin that we're promised in Ephesians 1, 7. The believer is already God's possession. Instead, this is the believer's ultimate final release from the presence of sin. Um, the redemption that we're promised in verse 14 is our final redemption when Christ comes back and takes us to heaven to be with him. This promise is that just like the Levites, the Jews that we meet earlier up in our text, we are God's special and treasure possessions and he will forever um, see after his people. So, I know that was a lot. It's a little bit longer than what I had anticipated, but it is such a power-packed passage. I encourage you to go back and reread the first two days reading with day three. Put it all together. Look at the full sentence. Um, take a look at some of the other notes that I've made, some of the extemporaneous things I've added, and combine all that together. Look at the charts. Look at how... Um, the verses are broken down, things relate to each other. And just look at this complete story of Christ's finished work on the cross and the sacrifices that he made for us. I am so excited to be reading and growing with you guys. Remember, if you have any questions, feel free to comment on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, um, the blog. I'm keeping up with all of the comments and responding to them as I see them come in. So make sure you comment, even if it's just to say, I love it, I hate it, whatever you have, I want to hear about it. And last but not least, I will see you guys back tomorrow for verses 15 through 18. It's a shorter passage, but it's also a great one. I can't wait to see you share this with someone. Invite a friend to read with us and to grow with us. And once again, thank you for joining us for Nothing Is Lost. I pray that you have an absolutely amazing rest of your day that your day is blessed, that your mind is expanded, that your heart is whole, your mind is steady, and that you have a safe and absolutely relaxing evening. Have a great evening. See you guys tomorrow.